Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you are with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor. And on behalf of my wife and all of our staff and pastors are so glad that you are with us, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest, I always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. Yeah, because we believe that in order for you to get the full experience of Rise Church, you want to be here three times and give us that chance, and hopefully we can be your spiritual family. Today, we wrap up a brand new series uh, that we started. Uh, it's, what was a brand new series four weeks ago? But it's, it was a brand new series. We started uh, a few weeks ago called Thriving in Babylon. And here's what, the reason we did that. We thought, let's answer the question, how do you honor God in a culture that doesn't honor God? God. And so in week one, we talked about, here's one of the ways you thrive in Babylon. You need to have some godly convictions. Some of us need to learn how to be men and women where our yeses are yeses and our noes are noes. And Jeremiah spoke to those who were in exile from Jerusalem, and he spoke in a way that gave them the, the kind of the answer to how to thrive in Babylon. And it was this idea and this tension. It's a tension. Everybody say tension. It's a tension between um, loyalty and subversion. It's this idea that you are loyal to the government and loyal to the kingdom that you're living in, loyal in every aspect that you can be. But at the same time, there are some things you just don't do. There are some lines you just don't cross because we serve God. And so Jeremiah said, that's how you're going to live. It's not always going to be black and white. It's not going to be an easy answer, but you will honor God in the process. Second week, we had our executive pastor, and he spoke about how to um, develop life's meaning through God's eyes and really not develop life's meaning through your own eyes or ambition, but really what does God have to say about who you are and who you can potentially be? And then last week we talked about developing godly maturity. Here's my, my uh, uh, piece of advice, my, my two cents. I would go back and watch those on our YouTube or Spotify or whatever you can do. Go back and look at it, look it up. Those sermons are really, really good and they're foundational lead up to today's final message where we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. Now, some context to the story in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel starts off with the people in Jerusalem being exiled by the kingdom of Babylon, and they take them off, and now Daniel and his friends are, and some, uh, some of the select Jewish people are in Babylon. They're living in Babylon under the Persian Empire. Uh, I'm sorry, in, under the Babylonian Empire. Fast forward in the book of Daniel, we're now in the, where the, the new kingdom or the new king and the new country that comes in and takes over Babylon is the Medo-Persian Empire. That's now he's He's now living in a different empire. Again, still doesn't honor the God that they serve, but he's still having to figure out how to be loyal and subversive. And in Daniel chapter 6 is maybe the most famous story for Daniel, and that's Daniel in the lion's den. And so um, we're not going to actually, we're actually going to read up to that and give you some kind of idea of how did it lead? How did Daniel even get tossed into the lion's den? We're going to see what happens in Daniel chapter 6 and uh, verse 1. It'll be up on the screen. This is, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. So he establishes this government. He, these are satraps are kind of like governors or people who run the ministry or the kingdom for him. And over them, three high officials. So now you have these kind of people who are running the, the country, but then you have people who are actually above these people who are running the country. And Daniel was one of them and to who would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. And then it says this, then Daniel became distinguished above all. And I like that because it's like the Bible goes out of its way to talk about how Daniel was, was one of many rulers, but he became unique. He kind of became above the people who were above. He became distinguished. He set himself apart. He was not just a leader, but he was a leader amongst leaders. And he said, here's why, because of an excellent spirit that he had an an excellent way about him. There was something about him that was unique that set him 
apart. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So because he was excellent, hear me now, this is the Bible says, because he was excellent, the king set him above the whole kingdom. Now, if you are in here and you want blessing, if you are in here and you desire to be a leader, if you are in here and you desire to have authority, the Bible is giving us a clue on how to do that in a culture that doesn't honor God. He was excellent. And then the high officials, all the satraps brought to the ground and complained against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground or complaint or any fault because he was faithful with no error or fault was found in him. And then these men said, we should not find any ground or complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So they, they're trying to find a way to tear him down. Because I don't know about you, the moment you become elevated amongst your peers, um, the person who elevated you likes that, but your peers don't like that. And most people kind of try to tear you down the moment you're elevated above them. Isn't that true? Because jealousy creeps in and everybody's like, why does he get the promotion? Why does she get elevated? She don't know what she's talking about. I know more than her. You start saying crazy things and because you, you don't like the fact that somebody was elevated above you. And they, they start to create this plan to get Daniel out. They've, because they couldn't find anything wrong with him, they said, let's create a new law that if for the next 30 days, in fact, they want to say, I'm kind of paraphrasing because there's a lot of verses here. For the next 30 days, you can't worship any God other than the king. And now they knew Daniel would worship another God other than the king. So they're trying to set him up and get him to be in trouble. And so verse 6, it says, Then these high officials and satraps came by with the agreement to the king and said, King Darius, you live forever. You the man, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish the rule, this ordinance, this law, that whoever makes any petition to any god or man for the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. And now, O king, establish this injunction, sign it, make it law according to the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And when Daniel knew this document had been signed, so here's the point. Daniel hears about the law. He's loyal all the way to, the, to this point. He's loyal. He's serving the king. He's honoring the king. He's honoring the government. He's loyal as you can be. Then the law changes and says you can't serve any other god for, but the king at that time. That's when subversion comes in. Y'all see the tension? It says you cross the line. Daniel knew that the law had been signed, and then he did this. He went to his house, and his window was upper room with chambers towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees, prayed three times a day, and gave thanks before God, and he had done previously. Then these three men came by with the agreement, found Daniel praying to his God, and they came near and said before the king concerning this injunction, hey, remember you signed this? He said, here's the king answered. He said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So he, he basically confirms this law. He says, yes, I signed that, and that's when he gets thrown into the lion's den. But if you're taking notes today, the name of my message for all of you that are going to wrap up this series called Thriving in Babylon, how to thrive in Babylon, we need to learn to develop godly excellence, godly excellence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the day. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. I would get out of the way, that you would be in this place, God, that they would hear you. God, I pray I'm changed as the word of God spoken, not just the people. And I pray that, Lord, as that develops in our life, Lord, that you would do something different in us today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to stand out. You know, I've always wanted to be the um, the fastest runner or the, you know, the most athletic person on the sports team or, you know, the smartest person. And, and uh, what I found out really quickly is that I, I, I wasn't. 
I didn't stand out. I, I, I had an idea to stand out in my academics, but I, I didn't always do that. You know, I wasn't always the number one guy who got the best test scores. I, I, it was in sports. I was not always the fastest runner. Uh, I, I, I was not always the best hitter in baseball. I wasn't always the hardest thrower. I, I didn't have all the friends. I didn't, wasn't, I didn't always stand, like I always wanted to stand out. I wanted to be the guy who was distinguished, kind of like Daniel, above all else. And I remember one time that, um, that, that I did that. I grew up, I had a little sister who's about a year and a half, two years younger than I am. And, and and um, I was becoming a teenager, and I grew up with my sister. And I don't know if you're when you're an older brother, there's kind of this law when you have an, when you're an older brother and you have a little sister, you got to pick on her. It's kind of how it's like in the law of older brothers. It just is what it is. Anybody else an older brother other than me? Anybody else an older brother? Anybody? Okay, got one, two. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you, know, you just you have to pick on your little sister. And so I picked on my little sister growing up. And and uh, what I didn't realize is that the seeds that I would sow, I would eventually. I would eventually reap. And um, I'm just telling you, if you're a kid in here, be nice to your little sister, be nice to your little sibling, because eventually they're going to grow up and they'll have ways to get back at you. And here's the story of how that happened. I remember I had my first uh, boy-girl, one of my first boy-girl parties at my house. You know, I asked my mom and dad, I said, hey, can I have some friends over? And, and they're like, yeah, absolutely. And so they bought a bunch of pizza. My parents were so cool. By the way, if you're a parent in here, you should be a totally like my parents. I, they made my house so cool that I never wanted to leave. So, like, they were always had food. They always provided food. They always had fun. And so they made sure I never left because I always had a good time and I was always around. So they kind of did that. I said, do the party at the house. I said, okay, now sounds good. So I had my friends over. And I had a couple of friends that came over that were of the girl persuasion that I was trying to, you know, connect with, right? I'm trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be friends. I'm trying to be more than friends. I'm trying to be good friends with these girls. And so I was like, all right, we're going to invite them over. So invite them over and they're, they're all hanging out. And I'm telling you, I was the life of the party, y'all. I was telling all the best jokes. I was make everybody was kind of, it was like, you know, the party was going on. The music was happening. Everybody's eating food. We're all having a good time. My little sister comes out of this, this closet area. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you ain't invited into the party. And so she grabs some pizza. And she goes, I know. And I was like, all right. So she got some pizza. And I'm like, all right, now get out of here. You know, I kind of made a joke about her as she was walking down the hallway. And so she heard this joke. I thought nothing of it. So I'm in there. Everybody's looking at me. I want you to see it. Everybody's in there. I'm looking at it. I'm having a good time. We're all in there. The girls I liked were in there. And then I, my sister came from behind me and did what little sisters tend to do. She embarrassed me in a way that I can only describe as the most horrific moment of my life. She depanced me in front of all of my friends. And she did it in a way, please hear me, where when I say depanced, I mean everything. I want you to say it with me. Everything. So I'm standing there in front of my friends, literally standing out. Be nice to your little kids, sister, brothers. They're what you reap is what you're going to sow. Excellence is not standing out like that. Can we all agree? Excellence is quite the opposite. Some of y'all are like, I can't get that out of my brain. I just move on. No, no, no. Like excellence is standing out the quite the opposite way. Excellence is standing out for not just a good way. Excellence is standing out in the best way. Excellence is saying, I'm going to set myself apart in a way that distinguishes me from other people. A great definition for excellence, what it is, is it's extremely high, something that's extremely high quality or to do better or surpass at anything. Um, I like what Pat Riley said. He said, it's excellence is the gradual result of always striving to be better. I'm like, that's so good, Pat Riley, nine-time NBA champ. 
I'm like, that's awesome. Aristotle said excellence is not an act, it's a, it's a habit. In fact, in the Hebrew there, when the Bible said that Daniel had an excellent spirit, the Hebrew word is uh, yatir. It means to be exceedingly extraordinary. So if you were ordinary, it was adding that little bit of extra. Somebody say extra. Yeah, having that, y'all, you extra. Like having a little bit of, a little sum. It's doing things in a way, I like this. It's doing, this is my definition. Y'all, y'all want to know my definition of excellence? This is the PA version. It's doing things in a way that represents God's will. It's, it's doing things in a way that shows the world that you don't just represent you. You represent God. Our church is designed in a way to where we do things with an excellent spirit. It's not perfection. It's not that you'll never have a mistake. But it's doing things in a way that knows, hey, when we get up on this platform, like we got to represent God well. I don't represent me. I I told somebody in Next Steps, I said, which is our growth track, I said, I'm not a self-help teacher. Like I'm I'm not coming up here and just giving you Pastor Aaron's five thoughts on how to have a blessed life. I'm a Bible teacher. So because I'm a Bible teacher, do you know the main character in the Bible? It's God. And because it's God, I represent him. When I became a believer or a disciple of Christ, when I became an exile, I decided to take off Team Aaron And I put on Team Jesus, just kind of the way that it goes. And I've noticed that Team Jesus has a way, and it ain't my way all the time. And because it's his way, i got to remember what I do and what I say. It matters. It matters. So I thought, um, if excellence was the determining factor for Daniel, I think we can all agree, at least for now, that that's important. You should ask the question, how does that, what does that mean for me? Okay, pastor, I want to be excellent. Here's how. Let's be excellent in three ways that I see with Daniel. Number one is he was excellent in character. Everybody say character. He had something in him I thought was interesting. Verse four, it says, so the governors and satraps thought to find some change, some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They were looking for something that was wrong. They're saying like, we got to get this guy. Let's just look at his Facebook feed. Let's find out who he's got. Let's talk to his friends. We're going to find out something. We're going to get some dirt on this dude. Like, we're going to find something. And they said, the Bible says, but they couldn't find anything. Because he was, I like this, he was faithful. Everybody say faithful. He was faithful. The, the, the Hebrew word there for faithful is aman. It means to be trustworthy, to be worthy of trust. You know how you're worthy of trust? You have a character. Like, don't tell me to trust you. Show me to trust you. Sh- show, show me. Show. Everybody's my friend. Do you know that at church? Did you know Everybody's my friend. Pastor, you're the best. Pastor, that was a great message. Pastor, like, but, 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 like, I got to see it. 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 Are you like that? Are you, you should be. You should be a little wary of people who are always telling you you're good because you, you got to tell them, yo, well, hold on, hold on. I got to see. Are, we, are you going to be there? 
when things aren't good. I determine friendship on be there moments. And, and, and character is the, it's the will to do what's right as God defines right, no matter what. It's having honesty and integrity. Honesty is, is the ability to have when your words align with your reality. Integrity is having your, your reality aligning with your words. It's, you are who you said you are. You're going to do what you said you could, you're going to do. My favorite things my dad ever taught me. Um, he said, Aaron, be, be a man of your word. Like we've lost. We almost celebrate the opposite. Just, 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 to, I'll give you, culture, culture puts traps out there. It says stuff like, just worry about achievements. Achievements are, are a culture trap, just so you know. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's an absolute trap. When, when all you're focused on is your achievements, it's not who you are, it's what you do. It's like win at all costs. It's forward motion, progress, success, that's all the win. And the problem with that is it makes cheating and lying okay. Is that fun, funny, famous statement? If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. It's like win at all costs. Get the promotion at all costs. Get the deal at all costs. Be a success at all costs. And you know what it tends to happen? It costs you all. And it's, it's a trap. Culture celebrates it. Another one, happiness how you feel? Do you feel okay? Because if you feel okay, that's all that matters. We hear it all the time. What do they say? If it feels good, do it. If it feels good. Like, and the most important thing is not what's right. It's not who you are. It's how we feel. Happiness is your God. And when you follow your feelings... And your mood, your life follows your feelings and your mood. And we as Christians, this is a funny thing. Can I say Christians are funny? I'm one of them so I can make fun of them. We do silly stuff. We do it with a Christian voice. You want to know how I hear it all the time. Pastor Jason hears it all the time. We hear it all the time. Well, I... How did you make that decision? Well, you know, I just had peace. I, I just felt like I had peace. I'm like, two problems that I can find in this theology of peace is that I typically can make myself feel peaceful about anything I want to do in the moment. Is it just me? Like, somebody punches me in the face, I feel real peaceful about punching them back. Somebody cuts me off, I feel real peaceful as I'm doing things in my car to let them know how unhappy I, y'all hear what I'm saying? Because you started with, I, f I what? I f feel peace. 
Okay. Second problem is if I look in the Bible, most characters that followed Jesus and did what they were supposed to do, they didn't feel no peace. Last time I checked, Jonah was supposed to go somewhere. He argued and wrestled with God. I don't feel peace. God said, I don't care. I told you to go do that. That's what you're supposed to go do. Next. That ain't peace. So I get your theology of like, well, if I feel peace. And I'm not saying that sometimes you need to have some godly peace. Please don't mishear me. But you, you, you serve the God of peace, not God. And, and, and sometimes God, God asked me to do stuff that I don't want to do ever. Ever. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What was he supposed to do? He was supposed to be go crucified. And he was stressed out, sweating Come on, drops of blood. Asking God, are you, are, are you sure? I don't really feel peace. That doesn't feel like peace. Why? Because he didn't trace his happiness. Judah, my son Judah, I had an interesting moment with him the other day. Uh, my son Riley broke his toe recently. And um, what I love about our church, we have spiritual family. And so some people found out about it. And they send cookies and candy and donuts and, you know, everything sugary, you know, because it's like, you know, something bad happens to you, you know, God lives in sugar. So here you go. Just feel better. And, uh, and so we have like a house full of treats right now. And the other day I came down, my wife was out of town and, um, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I'm not as good of a parent when my wife is not here. And so, you know, I'm sleeping cause I sleep and my kids were up for like two hours before I even got up. And, uh, <laughs> so I got out and I went to the, this like, uh, donut box that our spiritual family had sent us and it was full when I went to bed. It was almost empty when I woke up and there was only one kid awake and his, and his name was Judah Ricky Grijalva. He's sitting on the couch and let me just tell you that dude looked more happy than anybody in the world. I'm like Judah, how you doing, son? He goes, hey, dad. What's up? You're the man. I'm like, okay. I found out. I go, what? Did you eat all these donuts? He goes, yeah. I'm like, you could have at least lied. You know, you got like four kids in here. You've been like, yeah, the brothers came and ate it. So he goes, man, I loved every one of it. It was so good. So good. In the afternoon, he started feeling a little sick. He ate a bunch of donuts, you know, and, and it's funny like that because sin is like that, you know, like we, it feels real good. It just leaves long-term consequences. Like God never wants you to not, like the idea of like God not wanting you to sin so because he, he's like, you don't want me to have no fun. No, he don't want you to have no death. He, he doesn't want you to hurt. He knows sin brings consequences. So like he ain't trying to be a buzzkill. God's amazing. He wants you to have life and life to the fullest just in the most holy way that you can actually live so that you can actually make it to the end of your days. Like that's his goal. And if you follow the God of happiness, it messes with your idea of character. God cares more about, let me just say it like this. I'm gonna end it. God cares more about who you are becoming than what you're doing. 
Number two is this, excellent at his work. So Daniel was not only excellent in character, he's excellent at his work. It goes on to say that he, so he was, he was, he was faithful, but then they found no error. The Hebrew word there, error, is shalu. It actually means um, he had no neglect. So a better translation would be Daniel actually did his work so good that he excelled at it. Like he did his work so well. He did it so well because he knew how he did, did his work. Come on, listen, listen. How he did his work, it sends a message to the people who are watching you about the God you serve. So it's convicting for me, should be convicting for you, that the moment you feel like your job is terrible, like this is when it becomes hard. Because you'd be like, because some of us in here probably are not in a job maybe you didn't desire. Yeah, maybe you're not very thrilled about going and doing what you do right now. Or maybe you don't like your boss. You think he's a moron. Or you're just like, I, I wish I, I should be there. Or you don't, you're not doing what you feel like you're called to do. Or you're, you just you feel like you're in a mundane day-to-day. Or you're just going and doing something. You're just punching a clock. You're just doing a, a job. And, and it's easy to forget, like, what I'm doing is actually not about what I'm doing. What I'm doing is about what he's doing in my life. And that if I'm excellent at it, it'll actually elevate me in Babylon. Proverbs 22 has a great verse. It says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He'll stand before kings. That excellence elevates you, even in a world that doesn't value what you value. That, that it's actually excellence in work that elevates you. It's kind of like the anti, this is this new thing, like quiet quitting message in business. We're like, you do just enough. And no more. Like, you just get by. You don't stand out. You just do your time. And then life will magically elevate you. And my Bible says, you could do that. Or you could excel in your work. You can be excellent in your work. You can do things that reflect God in your work and then you'll be standing before kings. So I thought I'd give you just seven quick thoughts of excellent employees. Y'all want these just real quick? These are fun. These are going to feel so basic, but you're going to be like, I don't do them. <laughs> That's what people, maybe t- pastor, go deep in the word. I'm like, but you don't go shallow. Okay. I, I really like you guys. <laughs> Seven habits of excellence. Number one, do your job better than expected. Just so you know, just because you show up and punch a clock does not mean your boss needs to give you a promotion. You already get paid for that. I'll give you a promotion for doing what you're supposed to do. But if you do it better than expected... Come on. Then I'm like, this guy, this lady, she about, she about that life. Come on, she about to do something. I'm like, I'm going to do better than I expected you to do it. Number two, give attention to the smallest detail. Just so you know, big details are determined by small ones. So just like paying attention to the showing up on time. Oh, it's a small detail. That's just five minutes. 
just so you know, your boss sees it. I walk up in his office being like, hey, uh, it's promotion time. Just thought you'd know. Because what he should do is show all the times you showed up late. And be like, uh, not yet. Not according to how you work here. Smallest details. Number three, finish what you start. Hello. I'm surprised about this one. Well, you know, I'm done. It's 5 o'clock. I'm done. It's done. I'm done. 5 o'clock. That's what we signed a contract for. 5 o'clock. It's 5. But, but it's not done. Oh, but yeah. And then I go, oh, okay. Okay. If that's how it's going to be, okay. Finish what you start. Number four, focus on the task that will produce the best result. Please don't get caught in busy work. It's real easy to find that stuff. And then we get caught in busy work, and then we're like, I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do every day and not have to worry about nothing, and I just do this. And you don't think about what could bring about the best result for the company that you're at. Number five, do your job with a positive attitude. Please do this. If you're, a, like, a bad attitude person, don't tell nobody you're a Christian. Don't, don't tell nobody that. You're a bad advertisement for Christianity. Like, seriously. Like, you serve a God of joy, of peace, of love, of kindness. Jesus was loved by everybody, including children. Do you think that children would have been around him if he was like, hmm, you don't pay me enough around here. Like, nobody likes that. Go whine somewhere else. Ain't nobody got time for it. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Be committed, number six, to continued growth. No one's responsible for your growth but you. Your boss doesn't, he, he's not obligated to make sure you get, become a better leader. You are obligated to make sure you become a better leader. And number seven, be consistent in performance. Sometimes you just need to show up and do it again and then show up and do it again. And then guess what? Show up and do it again. Because consistency is a lost value in this world. Number three. And I'm done. Excellent in godliness. So he was excellent in character. He was excellent at his work. But then he was excellent in godliness. I like what he says at the end. He said they found no fault was in him. There was no fault. The Hebrew word there, shakath, it means no corruption, which simply translated meant his morality and godliness wasn't in question. So I want you to think about that. His holiness, his godliness, his morality, that was not an issue. Is it an issue for you? I, I want to say this as lovingly as I can. God cares about holiness. Our church, by its very nature, we're more relevant. We're more of a um, modern uh, presentation of the gospel. By its very nature, we'll lean grace-driven a lot. So you'll hear and feel and understand grace really well, but Jesus came with grace and truth. And you need to know this. There is right and wrong in the world. I know that the culture says there isn't. Ah, you know, it's however you feel. Well, my truth is maybe not the same as your truth. That's ridiculous. Truth is. It's either truth or it isn't. So, so, so there is defined truth for the world we live in. And so your morality and your godliness and your holiness, it matters to God. 
And so because we're a church, every once in a while I got to have one of these moments and no one's going to amen. That's okay. But I got to have these moments with you as a pastor because I'm a shepherd and I love you. God loves you. You should not be holy to try to earn God's love. You already have it. Congratulations. You won the spiritual lottery. You're welcome. But that doesn't mean you work and move and live life like the sinner that hasn't recognized that yet. God cares about holiness. When I was a kid, a uh, teenager, I got my license when I was 14 and eight months in, Cal- uh, uh, in New Mexico. It's like demonic. I don't know how I did that. They changed the law like the moment I got it because it was stupid. And so I have 14 year old boys right now. I barely let them get in the bike outside in my front yard. I wouldn't give them a license. I'm like crazy, no way. But I had 14 and eight months. I got driver's speeding tickets like right and left. It was crazy. But one of the things I used to do when I was driving that car is I, I, um, I'd run into guardrails a little bit and I had a truck so it kind of would protect it a little bit but like I would I would catch the guardrail sometime and it would like scratch my truck and I had to buff it out and it was, it was, it was crazy and um, I was thinking about that when it comes to the road like on a road there's the cliff or the ditch there's the guardrail there's the line and then there's the road what I find funny is how you would even hit the guardrail unless you're not paying attention or you're not driving intentionally. And the guardrail is always designed. Did you know guardrail is designed to keep you from falling off the cliff? And what I find interesting about life when it comes to Christians is how much we like to see how close we can get to the guardrail and still have a clean car. And so you, you, you it's confusing to me how even I, we all get in this. We'll justify behavior. You're meant to drive. With, you got a whole bunch of road. But we're so enamored with the edge. And so you need to know Daniel's character was not in question. Daniel's work ethic was not in question. And his holiness was not in question. So he didn't live to get as close as he could to his life. Because some of us, if you live that close, you're going to hit that rail all the time. And you live a life like looks like that car that was always sideswiping something. Come on. And you wonder why your life is messed up. It's because you live too close to the edge. You're trying to get close to the edge. So you need to know morality exists in the world of Christianity and God. Holiness matters. It should matter to you what you should have. We should have a conviction when we see something that our eyes shouldn't see. You know this. You realize this. You can get up and walk out of a movie. I know that sounds ridiculous and old school. I know that sounds like a little much. But I want to be elevated in Babylon. You should have, we should have a conviction to what our eyes see on Netflix. Hello. Just because the world says it was okay to produce doesn't mean it's okay for us to consume. It should matter how much you drink. It should matter. Let's be clear. What does the Bible say? Not what denominations and not what pseudo-theologians on YouTube say. The Bible never gives a specific thought about alcohol when it comes to whether or not you should drink and it's sinful is it okay to drink alcohol yes but however where's the guardrail he said you shouldn't look like the crazies that are at the bar 
You shouldn't get drunk and blasted and think that's okay. Because your life's going to look like you skidded up against the... There's sin. There's right and wrong. You shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter to you whether you're with the opposite sex alone. Come on. I'm talking about holiness. I, I grew up in a church where every time they had church open, they talked about hell. We knew hell existed. We're pretty sure heaven was there, but we knew it existed. So I get it. I grew up in the opposite. It was always, you're wrong, you're evil, you're not going to make it, you're nothing. You're, I'm, I get it. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that holiness exists. And I, and I love you. And I want the best for you, but man, we got to be better. We should have some, con I'm talking about a godly conviction. And they said they couldn't even find nothing wrong with his morality. So you want to thrive in Babylon? Holiness better matter. My prayer today is that as Daniel was elevated, you will be elevated. But, but it comes on the back of excellence in our character. Are you who you say you are? It's got to be excellence in your work. When you go to work on Monday, you better have some of these notes. In your All right, I'm going. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to go be elevated. I'm going to go be elevated. I'm doing this for God. I got God's jersey on today. I'm doing this. I'm going to go make. I'm going to be excellent. I'm not doing just enough. I'm going to make it happen. Come on. And then and then third, I'm, I'm godliness in my life. Holiness in my life. What I see, what I listen to, how I speak, how I talk. First Timothy talks about that in speech and in conduct, in faith and in purity. Come on. It matters to be holy. And I believe if you do that, this is your pathway to being elevated in Babylon. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that today that God, you are holy. And so as you are holy, we admonish ourselves to be holy like you. God, you have character. So as you have character, God, we admonish ourselves to have character like you. God, as you work hard, God, as you do everything to your best of your ability, God, as you are excellent in the things that you put your hands to, God, we do excellence with the things that we put our hands to. God, I pray that as we do that, God, you would shine and show yourself faithful to us in this world that we call Babylon. In Jesus' name.